Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalms 23. We're going to be all over the place, really, but we're going to land there at the end in Psalm chapter 23. So this last week, um, we spent several days at our state minister's winter retreat. And so what they do is a couple of times a year, they invite all of the the pastors together in one place, and there's some speaking and preaching and prayer and worship. And it's just a good time of refreshing and re-energizing and just being together with other ministers. And it was a really good time. Before one of the morning sessions, the MC that was up there speaking, he said, haven't you just been blessed by our speaker this week? And we clapped and we said amen and gave the appropriate church response. And then, and then he took it a step further. He said, uh, just tell me something that the Lord has spoke to you, maybe through the services or in prayer, something that God has done. And so he was looking for interaction and he was looking for people to stand up and speak. And uh, so somebody stood up over here and they said, you know, I just want to say when the speaker said that there's more value when we place things in God's hands than ours. Man, that really touched me. And so the MC reiterated that. Oh man, praise the Lord. When we put things in God's hands, it really does increase. And then somebody over here spoke up and said that that word that was given last night really touched my heart. And then he reiterated that. Oh man, praise the Lord for her faithfulness and speaking that out and different things like that. And then somebody stood up in the back and it was in the far back corner at that table back there. And she stood up and she had a really thick Hispanic accent. And she she said what she was thankful for. She gave her testimony. And the MC, the guy up there with the microphone, looked at her. <clears throat> After she was done speaking, he said, amen, amen. And at our table, we knew what that meant. That meant he didn't have a clue what she just said. He just did the nod, amen, amen. She could have said, I don't like the fact that there is no toilet paper in the women's bathroom. And he's saying, amen, amen. She didn't, but she could have, and he would have said the same thing. It was just so funny because we knew he just didn't have a clue what she was saying. Have you ever done that? You respond to something like you're paying attention. You respond like you understand what's going on, but honestly, you don't have a clue. Anybody? You've ever done that? Amen. Thank you. Perfect. How about about when you get introduced to somebody brand new for the very first time? Like you're there, you're trying to make a good impression, you're wondering if you got food in your teeth and stuff like that, you're thinking all these other things, and somebody introduces you, hey, I wanna introduce you to Mike, you know, he's a buddy of mine, this and that, and uh, you go through the pleasantries, and literally like five seconds later, you don't have a clue what their name was. Anybody like that? Like somebody can say a name, and it just goes right through in one ear and out the other. And so you have to pretend like you were listening, right? Oh man, bro, it was so good seeing you. It was nice meeting you, buddy. You know, hey, let's, let's connect later. Those, that, that happens. You have a hard time with names sometimes. So you have to act like you know what you're doing. You have to act like you know what you're talking about. You have to act like you heard and understood and were paying attention, though you really didn't have a clue. So we're starting 2016 with a series that we're calling Jehovah. And in this study and in this series, we're looking at and studying the different names of God, the different names of our one true Jehovah God. These names describe, describe different attributes and different characteristics of this one God, and it's helping us better understand who he is. Um, oftentimes when we come to church, we, we filter it through us, and we make it about us, and we say, how can I be better? How can I do better? How can I change? But we're starting the year, we're not really looking at us, but we're looking at God and seeing who he is. And I think, what, what a better way to start the year than focusing on God, amen? 
So we're looking at God, we're focusing on God, we're studying different names of this same God, remember, one God, to try to get a better understanding of who he is. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jehovah Nisi, the name Jehovah Nisi is the Lord, our banner, and we talked about the fact that he controls the fort, he's our banner, he's in charge, he's, he's our king, and he controls the fort. Last week, we talked about Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord of Jehovah, man, I'm having a hard time speaking today, Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord, our sanctifier. We said that God set an impossible standard that we could never, ever reach on our own, and he knew that, so he said, I will sanctify you, and I will lift you up to meet that standard, and uh, so we praise the Lord for Jehovah Mekadesh. This week, we're going to talk about the name of the same God, but different characteristics describing him. We're going to talk about Jehovah Roi, Jehovah Roi. Now, we're going to stop for just a second before you do the whole, I'm nodding and acting like I'm paying attention, but not really catching it. I want you to lock in here for just a moment, because this name is important. This name is critical. I believe that this name, Jehovah Roi, will go further in helping you understand the heart of God than any other name in Scripture. The magnitude of this name often gets lost by the familiarity of it and just the sort of the casual nature of it. But I hope that before we leave today, we have a better and clearer understanding of who God is based on his name, Jehovah Roi, which means the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It becomes almost impossible to understand scripture if we don't become familiar with Jehovah Roi. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd, sheep, illustration, and analogy, and title runs from the very beginning of Scripture to the very end. It's sprinkled throughout the entire Bible. Many of our heroes in Scripture were shepherds. Many of our Old Testament heroes were shepherds. If you remember, the very first people to hear the announcement from heaven, from the angels of heaven, um, that Jesus was born was the shepherds. And so a lot of our Bible heroes were shepherds. We got Abel uh, was a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all shepherds. Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph with the coat of many colors, he was a shepherd. Not the, not the New Testament Mary's husband Joseph, although he always dresses like a shepherd in the nativity scenes, but he wasn't. He was a carpenter. But everybody else, those were all shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David, probably the most famous shepherd in the Bible. Bible that we know of. The importance of this title is revealed in the frequency of the references. And so I'm going to real quick uh, read a bunch of scripture to let you know how critical this Jehovah Roi, this title, this reference, and this illustration is. We're going to go through these fast. If you want to just write down the references and go look at them later, you can. They are going to be on the screen there for you. But let's just go through and look at just a bunch of of scripture uh, that point to Jehovah Roi. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 80, verse one, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Capital S, shepherd of Israel. Give ear, Jehovah Roi. You will lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. He's talking about might. He's talking about fighting. He's talking about victory. He's talking about salvation. And he gives them the title shepherd. Not king, not champion, not warrior, but shepherd. 
and then talks about how strong he is. In Ecclesiastes, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one, capital S, shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. He's pointing to Jehovah Roe, the shepherd, Jeremiah chapter 3. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. God is telling the people, I'm going to give you pastors. I'm going to give you leaders. I'm going to give you teachers that will shepherd the people of God. In Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, there are warnings that God gives to pastors and spiritual leaders who aren't leading well and living well. They're not, they don't have integrity in any way. And so God gives them a warning. And this is what he says. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of the pasture, declares the Lord. Every ministry leader and every parent, I believe, needs to read through Jeremiah, it needs to read through Ezekiel and understand the warnings that God gives to wicked shepherds. We need to pay attention to this because every single minister, every, every single person who is in any sort of leadership ministry role, whether you are paid or unpaid, full-time or part-time, it doesn't matter. Whether you are a parent, a godly parent and raising godly kids, we need to pay attention to this because every Every single one of us is called to shepherd a portion of the flock of God. If you are not in ministry anywhere, but you have kids and you call yourself a believer, you are a shepherd over your kids. You hold some spiritual responsibility over their life. And God doesn't overlook or excuse wicked or lazy shepherds. He takes this really serious. He takes Jehovah Roe, this name and this rule, extremely serious. It goes on, Micah chapter 5. It's talking about Jesus' return. And it says this, and Jesus shall, and he, referring to Jesus, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Basically, it's saying when the shepherd, Jesus, returns for the believers, all things will be made good. It goes on into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus said to the disciples the night before he was crucified, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus very famously says, I am the good shepherd. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul has given some final instructions to some of the ministry leaders and the pastors there for the church. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock, referring to the church as a flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's not talking about actual sheep. He's talking about the church, and he's referencing Jehovah Roe, the Lord, our shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, now may the God of peace, who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will first peter chapter 2 for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd capital s shepherd and capital o overseer 
of your souls. First Peter chapter five. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Revelation chapter seven, verse 17, our last one. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It was just a fraction of the scriptures that we find referencing God as Jehovah Roe, referencing Jesus as our shepherd, using the shepherd sheep analogy. And if God is saying the same thing over and over and over again, how many of you know that it's something we better pay attention to? That there's something to this. Like we can't just, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me alive, and, and just nod and agree, and, and yeah, I've heard that a thousand times, so much so that I'm not even paying attention anymore. Like we have to lock in. We can't just pretend that we understand. We have to see and hear and know what God is saying and what God is revealing to us through this name, Jehovah Roe, the Lord is my shepherd, because he reveals so much of who he is in this one name. So this is what we're going to do with the remainder of our time. We're going to turn back to Psalm 23, and so make sure you get there in your scripture, and we're going to look with fresh eyes at Jehovah Roe. I have six points. If you're taking notes, you can write one through six. They're just going to be one-word points, and uh, we can see who Jehovah Roe is and what the Lord, our shepherd, does. So here we go, Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Roe, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Number one is this. Jehovah Roe leads. Jehovah Roe leads. Here in Nebraska, we know a lot more about cattle. We're a lot more familiar with cattle than we are sheep. Amen? Like when you go out on a warm summer night, you step outside the church, you step outside your home, and you get hit with that sweet aroma, right? You know that the wind is blowing from the cattle yard, and you can just smell it, right? I grew up in Broken Bow. I went to high school in Broken Bow. We had cattle yards all over the town, and it didn't matter which way the wind blew, you were smelling cattle, right? And everybody always says, smells like money. Yeah, kind of, but not really. Because, but we know and we understand cattle more than we do sheep. Now, there's a major difference between cattle and sheep because if you're trying to get a, a herd of cattle and a flock of sheep from one place to another, the way you get them there is radically different. If you're going to move cattle, um, you have to get behind them and drive them. That's why they call it a cattle drive, right? Any of you lonesome dove fans out there, you know it's a cattle drive, cattle drive. You got to do it. And so you get on your horse or you get on your motorcycle, or your four-wheel, your pickup or whatever you do, and you get behind the cattle and you start yelling. Make a lot of noise. Yeah, go cow, go, get out of here, you fat, you know, and, and you, you, you got to yell at them, right? You kick them, you slap them, you spook them, you stand real big and tall to get them moving in the right direction. I remember, I've not done this much, but I was helping somebody get their, their cattle separated for branding purposes and stuff. And, and they said, Chris, we want you to stand right here, right where the gate like turns or the fence turns, stand here right in the corner. They're gonna run down you like 100 miles, down at you 100 miles an hour. You just scream and yell real big and they'll turn. They won't hit you, they're scared of you. Like, I'm kind of scared of them too. And so they're running, ah, you know, get out of here. And then, and then they turn and then run. But that's how you move cattle. Some of you even had a, have a cattle prod, right? It's electrified with the prongs at the end. You zap them in the fanny and, and they move, right? 
Just an FYI, sometimes those cattle prods, they hold their electric charge even if you don't push the button, so be careful if you're gonna touch somebody with them. I zapped a high school girl um, when I was in high school. I, I wasn't pushing the button, but, but I, I touched her, and oh man, that was the closest to murder I had ever seen somebody with me. It was scary, so be careful with that. But the reality is there are too many of us who think that God is a cowboy when he's really a shepherd. We have this distorted view of God. You think too many times that God is standing behind you and he's yelling, go, go, yeah, move. Slapping you on the backside, kicking at you. You're not supposed to get out of here, move, go, go. But that's not what God does. You think God is standing behind you trying to spook you in the right direction, trying to force you, slapping you on the backside, cracking the whip, cursing at you, calling you fat and lazy and all this stuff. Get out of here, you dumb. You know, no, Jehovah Roe doesn't drive. He leads. And look, that's altogether different. The whole spirit of it, the nature of it is altogether different. God isn't standing behind you driving. He's out in front of you leading. And so he says what? Follow me. Isn't that what Jesus says to the disciples? Follow me. Where I step, you step. Where I go, you go. What I think, you think. What I say, you say. What I do, you do. Follow me. Jesus says, I'm going first. I'm going to lead the way. I just want you to come along. This last week at the retreat, we went swimming at the hotel there. And, um, and we brought the kids, and the kids wanted to go swimming. And, Daddy, will you go swimming with us? Okay, you know. And, and the water was freezing cold. And there's nothing worse than going to a motel and the water being freezing cold in the winter. But the water was cold, and they forced me to get down there, and, and they were touching it. And, Ooh, it's cold. I don't know if we want to get in. And, and I said, look, I, I brought you down here. I'm in my swimming suit and everything. You guys are going to swim. And so they're trying to get in. And you know how kids are. Like, they'll swim in any water that's not frozen. They just will. They like to swim. And so they were trying to get in, and it was taking a long time for them to get in. And I had my swimming suit on, and I'm certainly not getting in because the water's way too cold. Um, but they're fussing about getting in. And so me, being the good shepherd that I am, um, Titus, he was standing like on the, on the step there, like with his water up to his shins and stuff. And so I was standing behind him. I grabbed the pole that was there, and I put my foot up right on his back, and I said, go, and I kicked him in. He splashes in. It's cold. It's cold. He gets out, and I kicked him back in, right? You grab the others, you throw them in, okay, now, now they come to grab you or they splash you and you yell at them, right? Don't get me wet, that's enough. But that's what we think God is a lot of times. Like God's standing on the shore and he's throwing us in, we're like, wait a second. But God doesn't do that because he's not a jerk dad, he's a good shepherd who says, come, follow me. I'm gonna go first. You don't have to go first. I'll lead the way. Come and follow me. And Jesus, who's God living as a human man, uh, says or, or shows us this in, in his life and the gift that he was to us. Because listen, there's no emotion that Jesus hasn't felt. There's no hurt that he hasn't experienced and there's no pain that he hasn't endured. There's nothing that you have gone through that Jesus hasn't gone through himself. And so Jesus leads, not out of theory, but out of experience, 
because he's already been there. Some of you don't trust God because you think he's a cowboy. You think he's a driver. You think he's got his foot up there and he's kicking you. But the reality is he's a shepherd. He's Jehovah Roe. He's saying, follow me. I've, I've gone here before. I know the way. You come with me. He's a shepherd who leads. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Number two, Jehovah Roe restores. Stop for a second and consider that line because often we read that too fast. He restores my soul. Some of you are here this morning and you feel completely broken. Your heart and your soul have been damaged. You got your nice Sunday smile and your nice Sunday shirt on, but inside you feel so worthless and so ugly, and you're hoping to God that nobody says your name or nobody notices you because you feel so damaged inside. You've been beaten and broken physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You feel your soul is rotting away. You're here this morning and you feel like you're no good, you're lost, you're hopeless, abandoned, and forgotten. I want you to know something here. You have listened to that lie. If that's what you're feeling, you've listened to the lie for too long that God has rejected you. Because he isn't a God who rejects. He is a God who restores. And it doesn't matter what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter what you have heard your whole life. It doesn't matter what loved ones have said to you or about you that have damaged you. If you are here and you are broken this morning, then the Holy Spirit can see you and Jehovah Roe sees you and he wants to restore you. He wants to do something for you here this morning. He wants to restore your joy, your purpose, your emotional health. He wants to restore your heart, your soul, your passion, your character, your thoughts. He wants to restore your integrity, your purity, and your purpose. Jehovah Roe is a God who restores. And he doesn't want to just make you back to the person you were. He wants to restore you into the person that he wants you to be. So he wants to restore you, not back to the original. He wants to restore you to the better, to the man, to the woman, to to the son and the daughter that he wants you to be. We talked about this last week. He doesn't just make you good enough. He makes you better. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Number three is this. Jehovah Roe fights. He fights. I think sometimes the the magnitude and the power of this name, the Lord is my shepherd, gets diminished with the mental image that we come up with when we hear it. If I were to ask you to close your eyes and picture a shepherd in your mind, most of you would probably think of like some frail old man with a long beard and his skin is very weathered and, and um, he's kind of hunched over with a big long shepherd's crook and, and he's kind of just lumbering along, kind of making his ways frail, he's skinny, he's not very strong, not very smart, not very powerful and just kind of working with the sheep because this is the best he could do. He can't get a real job and so he's 
there with the sheep. Or maybe if I told you to picture in your mind's eye a shepherd, you would picture Jesus, right? Because you're, you're real spiritual. You would picture Jesus, and he would have bright blue eyes, and he would have a big smile on his face, and his long, brown, flowing Revlon hair is in the wind, and, and he's got a little baby lamb in his arm, and this baby lamb is so cute and smells good, and, and is so white and pure, and he's walking along kind of like a scene that you would think would be in the babysitter's club, and this is your view of a shepherd. But the reality is, these weren't shepherds. This is what shepherds look like. Shepherds were dudes. Everybody say dudes. I was listening to the radio the other day. I was talking about some, the Alabama football team and, and the reason why the Alabama football team was going to beat this other football team. And, and, uh, and the guy who was talking on the radio said, because Alabama is full of dudes. Like those other teams, they got like football players and they're young men, but Alabama, they have dudes. And these dudes are big, and they are strong, and they are hairy, and they are mean. They have dudes. And so, you know, Alabama goes and wins, and, and it's because of their dudes. The reality is that shepherds were dudes. They were strong. They weren't passive. They weren't weak. They weren't timid. They weren't afraid. They were dudes. Do you remember what David said to King Saul just before he went out to fight Goliath? Like David came up and Goliath was standing there in the valley. He was making fun of God. He was making fun of the Israelites. And David said, I'll go kill him. Saul said, you know, you're crazy. You're just a little boy. David says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, talking about himself. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I was a shepherd. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. How many of you know that takes a dude to be able to do that? Like if I'm a shepherd and a bear or a lion comes and like every sheep for himself, I'm out of here. But no, not David. David was a dude. And if a sheep or a lion came and took one of the little baby lambs and ran off with him, David started running after him. He doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have anything like that. He just runs after him. He slaps the bear or the lion across the face a couple times. I'm seeing this mental image of a cartoon. just pop, pop. And then he grabs the lamb out of his mouth and he turns to walk away. Way. And David said, then after I got the lamb back, if that bear or if that lion came at me, I'd set that little thing down. I'd grab him by his beard and I'd kill him with these hands. How many of you know that takes a dude to be able to do that, right? I mean, that's, that's a man that's going to fight a bear or a lion. You know, let's, hey, let's just chalk that little lamb up to like uh, hazard pay, right? I mean, let's just write that one off. Um, but no, David said, I'd go get him. And if he turned on me, I'd get myself a new bearskin rug. It was kind of neat. David was a dude. Jesus said in John chapter 10, there's a difference between shepherds and hired hands. Because shepherds sort of lost their reputation and their integrity and their character because what would happen is wealthy, um, wealthy sheep owners, they would hire men to go out and care for their sheep. And these men didn't care. They wouldn't fight anything. They wouldn't defend. They wouldn't protect. Oftentimes, they would steal sheep, and, and they, they were just bad, bad people. But when you had a vested interest in the flock, 
when this was your flock, when this was your father's flock, you were willing to fight. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, hired hands will run away screaming when he sees the wolf coming, but shepherds, a good shepherd will stay and fight. And Jesus says he will stay and fight even if it costs him his life. Now listen. Jesus, the good shepherd, said over and over and over again, the good shepherd lays down his life. You think he was pointing to something? Listen, the good shepherd lays down his life. The good shepherd lays down his life. And Jesus is saying to them, I am the good shepherd. And this is what he's promising. He says, I will stay and fight even if it costs me my life. I'll gladly lay down my life. For the sake of the sheep. Because I have a vested interest in these sheep. These are my sheep. I know them by name. I've claimed them as my own. And Jesus says, I will fight for them. And it cost him his life. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, for us. But listen, Jesus was such a dude that even when it did cost him his life, he picked it back up three days later in the resurrection. Like, that, that's... That's bigger than the bear. That's bigger than the lion. He took it back. Don't ever forget that you have someone who is fighting for you. That there is someone here this morning who needs to know this. That you are not fighting alone. When the wolf or the bear come attack, when they start roaming and circling, you have a shepherd who fights. He's strong, he's able, and he's capable in fact, you have a shepherd that is so tough that when he leads you through the darkest moments and when he leads you through the darkest days, you can stand completely secure because when Jehovah Roe, the Lord our shepherd, who is strong, who is tough, who is aggressive and able, when he comes on the scene, darkness and evil trembles. We just sang about it. When Jehovah Roe comes on the scene, evil gets real nervous. We have a God who fights for us. It's silly for us to be afraid of evil when evil is afraid of our shepherd. Now, don't for one second think that evil is afraid of you because there's nothing inside of you that's terrifying for evil unless you have Jesus living in you and are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when evil looks at you, it sees Jesus, and that's terrifying for evil. Because he fights for you. He fights for you. He fights for you. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Number four, Jehovah Roe comforts. He comforts. Several years ago, Melissa and I were in Las Vegas, and we went on this ride. Um, it's at the top of this stratosphere. It's a great big, tall hotel, and at the very top, it's like a carnival ride, and it's called the Big Shot, and, and what you do is you sit on this thing, you pull the strap down, and they say three, two, one, launch, they hit the button, and this ride shoots you up in the air, and it goes up real fast, and then it comes down, and so you're kind of floating a little bit as your weight is dispersed, and it's just really, really scary, and um, I've ridden one just like it at Worlds of Fun in Kansas City, and it's scary enough when you're on the ground, right, when you start on the ground. This starts however many stories up in the air, a long, long ways up, and so you're up there, and it's just this terrifying 
feeling, you're looking down, it's scary anyway, and then it's gonna shoot you up and you're gonna feel like you're going to die. And, um, and so we pay money to do this. And so, uh, so we were up there and we were getting ready, we were waiting our turn and we were going around like the turnstile things and, and every time people would get in, they'd get buckled, he'd say, three, two, one, launch, and he'd hit the button and everybody would scream, oh, and they'd go up and they'd come. And it was just a lot of fun. And so when we got up there, I don't know why he did it when we were up there, but, but when we got up, there was this transition time. They were coming off, we were going on, the things pop up and they lock in place um, up. And, um, and so we were getting on, we, we sat there on our stuff, we were kind of getting buckled, waiting for the straps to come down. And um, as we were sitting there, no buckles or anything, he says, three, two, one, and it was just mass panic. Like our buckles were down, everyone's like, no! and people are trying to jump off and we're like holding each other and, and we're imagining what the papers are gonna look like the next day as there's like just hundreds of people splatted on the ground in Las Vegas. And uh, I mean, it was just terrifying in that moment. It's three, two, one, launch, no! And it's locked up there and you're kind of holding on. And, um, and he says, just kidding, you know? And we're like, oh, that's terrible. You know, so your heart stops and oh, you know, and everybody laughs, ha ha, it's a good time. But, but um, there was panic. There was panic. How many of you know it feels good to feel the pressure of the restraints when there's potential danger involved? Let me say it again. How many of you know it feels good to feel the pressure of the restraints when there's potential danger involved? Jehovah Roe uses the rod and the staff to discipline, to correct, and to restrain us, to keep us on the right path, to keep us in the chair, because he knows of the potential danger involved. And sometimes we're approaching sin, or we're running after sin, or we're, we're turning from God, and the rod and the staff, they squeeze us tight, and they bring us back into right relationship with him. Why? Because he loves us, and he knows the danger involved. There is no restraint. Sometimes we feel like the rod and the staff squeeze too tight, but it just reveals how much he loves us. He keeps us from sin. There's something comforting about godly, divine discipline because it identifies the intimacy of the relationship. Amen? If it's godly, divine discipline, it identifies the intimacy of the relationship. Many of you, you've been in Walmart, you've seen, you've seen kids throwing temper tantrums, right? You've seen them screaming, ah, I want this or I want that and this. How many of you have walked over to that kid, picked him up out of his cart and smacked him on the booty, huh? Any of you? This kid needs a spanking. I'm going to take care of it for you. <clears throat> I'm going to do that while I'm here. No, that doesn't, you don't do that. Why? Because he's not your kid, right? Not your kid. But you look at your kid and you say, if I ever see you act like that, <laughs> right? I will take you in that bathroom and I will bust your face. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Why? Because it's your kid. I got lots of spankings growing up. Anybody else? I got lots of spankings. Lots of spanking. Like, I felt like I was a pretty good kid, right? But lots of spankings growing up. And when my dad spanked, oh, it hurt so bad. When my mom spanked, we would cry, even though it didn't hurt, just to make her feel good. If we didn't cry, my dad would spank us. So you'd learn to cry, right? <laughs> oh, no, mom's going to spank us. 
oh, did that hurt you? No, no, we're good. <clears throat> but I'm so grateful. I'm comforted by the fact that there was a couple of people on this earth that loved me enough to lean me over their knee. Discipline is comforting to those who are mature. Discipline is comforting to those who are growing in maturity. I didn't like it at the time, but as I look back now, I thank God for godly parents who are willing to use the rod and use the staff to bring restraint in my life. Sometimes Jehovah Roe uses the rod and the staff to get my attention, to clearly identify biblical and spiritual boundaries in my life. And I'm comforted by the fact that he loves me enough to look at me and say, you are mine and I'm going to keep you safe. Verse 5 says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Number five, point number five is this, Jehovah Roe prepares. He prepares. In preparation for this message, I feel like the Lord was speaking something to my heart. I feel like the Holy Spirit had given me a word for for you, but also for me and the church in 2016. I feel like, I'm not going to, preach a point here, but I just feel like this is what God wants me to say in in reading this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. I feel like there's somebody in here who needs to know this, that God would say to you, go boldly, the table is already set. Go boldly, the table is already set. There will be sneers and jeers. There will be criticisms and critiques and complaints. People will talk bad about you. They will try to intimidate you. They will try to derail you. But the Lord would say to you this morning, go boldly. The table is already set. Let me read verse 5 again. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Go boldly. The table's already set. This last week at Winter Retreat, Talking to all the pastors, they all say the same thing. Hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? What's new? And so I was telling them, um, yeah, we're getting ready to do this breakfast thing for the kids. We're really excited about that. Just last Sunday was our first Sunday, and we're, you know, we're figuring things out. We've got a lot of changes to make, this and that. And um, <clears throat> there were some of them that would say, oh, man, that is awesome. You're going for the least of these. You're capturing the heart of God. That is so cool. And that made me feel so good that they're confirming that in me. And Man, that felt awesome. Then there was another pastor that talking to about it and say, yeah, we're going to go feed breakfast to these kids, you know, and this and that, and tell them a little bit about what we we're doing. And he said, really? Breakfast? <sighs> Why would you do that? And it made me feel so small. Like, it, man, it, it, it was discouraging, and, and it's so silly that we let people's comments and thoughts that we don't even care about, that are not even here, um, um, affect us. But it did. It made me feel small. And and I was really wrestling through that, and it was through preparation for this that I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, Chris, go boldly. The table's already set. Go boldly. The table's already set. So we get to, <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> so, so we get to walk confidently, knowing that right there in the presence of our enemy, I'm not saying this guy is my enemy, but I'm saying right there in the presence of our enemies, we get to walk confidently because if Jesus, if our shepherd, if Jehovah Roe has set the table, then he has a place for us at the table. And so we get to go boldly with confidence knowing that nothing around this can touch me or kill me because God has prepared a place for me in the presence of my enemy. So I get to walk confidently knowing that my good shepherd has directed me to be here. Go boldly. The table is already set. 
Let's keep going. Verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Number six. Um, Jehovah Roe anoints. He anoints. <clears throat> Perhaps one of the greatest images of the Lord our shepherd is right here in this one often overlooked verse. You anoint my head with oil. Ancient Israel, shepherds used oil for three purposes. First was to repel insects. The second was to prevent conflicts. And the third was to heal wounds. The Lord your shepherd cares about those little nuisances, those little insects, those small bites, those tiny things in your life that, bec that can become infected and turn into major problems. The enemy of your soul, the devil, he doesn't often come at you like a roaring lion. He doesn't often come at you initially like a dragon. He doesn't often come at you like a raging bear. He often comes at you very subtly, very sneakily, and very small. Like a little insect with a little sting and a little bite. And your first taste of sin is not something big, but something very small. And he convinces you to take a small little compromise to lower your standard just a little bit. And initially, you may not even feel like you did anything wrong. Like initially, it didn't hurt. It didn't cost you anything. Like there was no pain involved. Initially, you got away with it. And it didn't even feel too bad. Then he convinces you to do it again in those small Little sins, those small little bites become infected and they grow and left untreated and uncovered. Those stings and those sins will become something big and major and destroy your life. And so uh, what Jehovah Roe does is he anoints with oil and he becomes that insect, that sin repellent for us because he loves us. In ancient Israel, during the mating season, the sheep, who are normally docile, would become aggressive and prone to fight. So they'd butt heads and they would bite and they would just be mean to each other. That happens in the church. Sometimes the, we can be mean to each other and get hurt. So what the shepherd would do is he would anoint the sheep with oil like a trainer greasing the face of a boxer. Have you ever seen that? Boxer's in the corner, trainer's over there wiping the Vaseline off of his hand, putting it on the, the boxer, why? Why does he do that? So when he gets punched in the face, that glove doesn't stick but slides off because his face is greasy, you know, it slides off. I still wouldn't like to be punched in the face, but it makes it better. And so what the shepherd does is he anoints the sheep with oil and so when they come at each other and they're fighting they butt heads they slip off and they don't hurt themselves and should there be any wounds and should any of the sheep get hurt infected bitten experiencing some pain the shepherd would place the oil on the wound to heal him here's the picture that i want you to see on a daily basis the shepherd inspects every square inch of every single sheep. Let me say that again. On a daily basis, the shepherd would inspect every square inch of every single sheep. And the anointing of the shepherd would 
defend against temptation. Defends against those, those temptations. He heals yesterday's hurts and he prepares us for tomorrow's battles. The Lord, your shepherd, knows where you're vulnerable and so he knows where you're prone to fail and so he gives the anointing of the Holy Spirit that protects us from those temptations and those sins. The shepherd, your Lord, the Lord your shepherd knows where you're hurting and so he gives the anointing oil to begin to heal. Uh, from time to time, we, we have anointing oil and we'll, if, if you have a hurt, if you have a need, if, you, if you're sick, come up and we will anoint you with oil. This is a direct reflection of the Lord, our shepherd, who puts the anointing oil on to heal. That's what we're doing. We're, we're declaring and we're claiming the majesty, the greatness, and the power of Jehovah Roi, the Lord our shepherd. The Lord your shepherd knows the battles that you're going to face tomorrow, and so he prepares you today to be victorious. He inspects, cares for you. And here's the rub. This is, this is what's going on. We have a shepherd who leads us, a shepherd who restores us, a shepherd who fights for us, for us, a shepherd who comforts us, and a shepherd who, who does all, a shepherd who prepares a place for us in the presence of our enemies, who's strong enough to do that. If we have a shepherd who does all of that in us, but loves us so much that on a daily basis, he's offering his Holy Spirit to guide and lead and protect and care for us, we are in a good, good spot. This is good, good news. 